Hello, Moto America fans, and welcome to episode 80 of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. I am Bice, Sean Bice, here in central Ohio, and I'm with our communications manager of Moto America, Paul Carruthers, the Carruthers of Carruthers and Bice. And uh, Paul, it's, it's episode 80. What do you think of that? Uh, it's hard to believe. Huh? What, what do you think? Of, who, who's the most famous number 80 that you think of? Oh, geez. I don't know. Let me think for a minute. 80, huh? Come Curtis on. Roberts? No, I don't know. <laughs> Kenny I, I go, yeah, I go, I go right to Kenny Roberts when I think of 80. And I think initially it was 80Y, which was the district or whatever oh. that, uh, you know, oh, that's started funny. with those letters. I've got it. Yeah. I've got a TTR one twenty five in my in my garage that I'm clearly too big for, you know, as you as you can imagine. But um, I have a Baja lighting kit on it to make it a dual purpose bike, and I put the I put the numbers eighty on it. But I don't think anybody in town thinks I'm Kenny Roberts. So no, they probably don't. <laughs> hey, so uh, we have a we have a great guest for episode eighty, and and it's a perfect uh, episode to. Uh, talk to this guy. Actually, he was more known for number 10, but it's it's Doug Chandler, who we have the pleasure of having on our staff at Moto America as a rider's rep. And one of the questions somebody asked is, what is a rider's rep? And somebody else said, well, they represent riders. And I was like, yeah, pretty much nailed it. But um, it's it's a real well, pleasure was, to have was, Doug on here. Go ahead. He was also race, he was also race director. So he's had two roles at, at Moto America. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. No, he's been, he's so been he's the pretty, big dog. He's pretty much running. And speaking of big dog, one of only four uh, Grand Slam winners. Uh, incredible. And, you know, we, we know when we talked with J.D. over the past couple of years about his pursuit of it, um, he knows how hard that is to do. So um, it's amazing. But Doug, Doug has done pretty much everything on, on two wheels, uh, including a lot of bicycling as well. So um, we're going to have a fun time talking to him. But before we bring him in, I want to tell a quick little story. So. A few years ago, when I was working at Yamaha, uh, Mike Guerra, who is an assistant to Keith McCarty, who is the race director, he had this huge binder of all these old photos and slides. There were transparencies, black and white photos, there were slides, and he sent it to me and I went through them all and I ultimately digitized all the images, but the idea was, I part of it was that I would identify all these photos. And in, in all of these photos, and I can't remember how many there are, but there were probably 250 to 300 of them. And there is a photo of Kenny, and I'm actually looking at it right now. And I've talked to Doug about this before. But so it's Kenny at the 1977 San Jose Mile. He's wearing a, a yellow Team Yamaha t-shirt. He's got a what appears to be a, a cup of Coke. It's literally a Coke-branded cup in his teeth holding it. And he's signing a program for this kid. And you look at this kid, and it's, keep in mind, it's 1977. The kid's wearing a T-shirt that has Star Wars on it, which is perfect for 1977. And I'll never forget when I first saw this photo. I kept looking at the kid, and I was like, it just kind of looks like Doug Chandler. And I was like, how could this even happen? There's a million people around in this photo. There's a kid to the right of this, this kid with the Star Wars shirt on. Um, and he's looking away or something, but this, this kid who looks like Doug Chandler is looking, watching Kenny sign this program. So we sent the photo to Doug and we'll go, we're going to bring Doug in right now. Doug, that is you, correct? Correct. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I never took you as a Star Wars fan. 
Well, I think that the movie had just come out, so that was kind of all new then. And I was young, very young. Yeah. Yeah, how old were you there? I mean, you had to be. Oh, God. Now you got to make me do math. Um... Oh, that's all right. No, we won't do that. <laughs> I can't do math either. <laughs> but, uh, what year was it? 71? 77. 77. 12, 12, 13. You would have been about. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's and you can about just right. tell by looking. It, it clearly is Doug. You can tell by looking at him because it's kind of that set of his jaw, the way Doug Doug has that. Um, and Doug, do you do you remember that moment, or do you remember that there was somebody there taking a photo, and were you just randomly in the crowd, and they just happened to shoot a photo of you? I mean, that, that's that was before people kind of knew who you were, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I was just a fan at the time, um, racing over in Oakdale. You know, Kenny at the time, you know the the race shop was right there next to the old Oakdale racetrack. Um, and they were doing, I think he just started doing his bicycle frames too. So I kind of knew him from that side of the stuff. And then being able to go watch him at a pro race, you know, I was just kind of tagging along, you know, his shadow. And I don't never remember a photographer, but, you know, they happened to get us together at the same time and in that picture, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's all I remember of that. So when we, when we sent you that photo, had you ever seen that photo before? I think I had seen it maybe a while back. Um, okay. It's for sure. Yeah. It's for sure me with him. And I remember that day clearly. (laughs) Growing up as a dirt tracker in, in Northern California would, I mean, was Kenny that was Kenny the guy? Was he your hero at that point? Oh yeah, I mean, pretty much up until eighty three, I had no desire to do anything else but flat track. That was all I grew up and was looking to do was flat track, flat track, flat track. Um, and going back to the Kenny picture, like I said, their race shop was right next to the old Oakdale racetrack, and he would on occasion come watch the amateur races, and I would you know, make a beeline in between my races to go hang out with them on the outside of the fence and turn two. Um, and that's kind of how I got to know Kenny. Wow, that is so cool. The start of it all. So, you know, today's throwback Thursday. So I'm going to put this up on our Facebook page. And well, I maybe I'll maybe I'll ask if anybody knows who it is that, you know, and everybody will say Kenny, but I mean, no, the other person. So <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But but anyway, that's a that's a gem of a photo for me. I love to hang on to that one and talk to people about it. So, um, but uh, Doug, we're really glad to have you on um, and, and talk to you. It's a, we should have had you on before this, but um, we're glad we glad we got you. I think because we see you at the track, you know, we forget. Oh yeah, we got to get him on as well. So thanks for doing it with us. Oh no problem, no problem. I mean, anything to kind of help pass the time nowadays. I know, right? So, Doug, you you mentioned that, you know, until 1983, you were all about dirt track. Correct. What changed? I mean, what what, what made you even think about um, trying road racing? Well, through my career, doing the flat track so long, um, I couldn't go up to the bigger bikes until I was 14. And I had already, I think, 78, I won my national amateur titles. Um, but I still had a year left on the mini bikes. And so we kind of 
went off and did some motocross just to do something different and kind of mixing it up i think kept my interest higher you know i kind of more focused because when you're keeping things kind of fresh rather than the same thing over and over again which i've seen a lot of kids get burnt out you know that had all the talent and ability but just growing up doing it by the time they got to the age of actually making the money doing it or a, a career you know they're over it they just don't want to do it anymore and that kind of is what we did through the years but in 83 actually 84 um was my first full year as a you know expert pro flat tracker and at the time the camel pro series was a combined series that um included the road races and the flat track for the same championship the road race guys never had a chance because i think there were only maybe eight or nine races in their series to where we were running at the time almost 30 in flat track so you know flat track guys are gonna outpoint the road race guys but honda had the idea of putting us on selective road races that didn't conflict with the flat track to gain extra points for the championship and that's when i kind of got a real look at the road race um our first race was loud in new hampshire and i was you know still focused on flat track but at that time all we had was harley davidson and honda who was the new guys coming into flat track which was great but when we went to this road race now you're seeing you know kawasaki suzuki all these other manufacturers and it's like it was so much bigger and you had an opportunity to continue and see if you could kind of you know venture on up into the road race and possibly even get a chance to go to europe as well so that's kind of what got me looking the other way mm. you know it's funny, Paul, you know, when Doug says about his first road race, was it Loudon? That was, that was Wayne Rainey's first road race too. Funny for people from way out on the West Coast to go way across country to have their first road race at that track of all, all places. That's kind of interesting, Doug. Did, you did the same well, thing. They looked at it in the point of it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a safe track, but it was a lower speed, smaller track, and they thought it would cross over better for us flat trackers being it would be more like a, a big TT track for us, which it kind of, you know, it, it was. And at the time, the bikes we rode, you know, we were running kind of a, what they called a super bike bar, which was kind of a, a, a small version of our flat track bar. So it was kind of upright. And yeah, it reminded me a bit of a TT. Wow. Wow. That, the other thing, um, Sean, you may not even know this, but uh, unless my memories totally failed me, I think Doug won his first superbike race at Loudon in 19, I don't know, it would have been 1990 maybe. And um, I, it was like Father's Day because I remember photos mm -hmm. of him and Jed on the podium. Was, mm -hmm. Am I right, Doug? I think it was 89, Paul. I oh, think okay. All right. Year, but it was Loudon. Yes, I believe so. Um, awesome. Well, so, got, so Doug, got, I'm, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I was there. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Doug. I think Doug was, was also there. Year. Yeah, that was our first year on the Kawasaki with um, Muzzy, and I want to say we we had quite a few DNFs, and that might have been one of our first ones um, that we finished and we actually won. But I'm almost now I'm thinking about it more. I'm almost thinking we might have DNF there. It might have been Mid Ohio. I'm not sure. 
I don't know. I have to look. Well, that's interesting though. So what, yeah. what I was going to say is I remember being there in 89. Now, 89 was the last year that it was Briar Motorsports Park, which when for the first time that you went there, Doug, that would have been what it was then. And what I was going to ask you about the TT is you probably, of course, you remember that Briar ran uh, counterclockwise, but when they opened New Hampshire International Speedway, I believe in 1990, and I'm pretty sure you won that year too. That was mm -hmm. the first year for that track and it ran clockwise in a different direction. Isn't that correct? I'm thinking in 89, we ran counterclockwise, you know, back in 84. Right. In, in the mid eighties, we ran it the, the old traditional original way. Um, and really the bull turn and the hill kind of the only things still resembling or pieces of the old track. So kind of going over it backwards from what you were used to. Right. Wow. So that's what I was wondering, because when it, at the end of Briar, they were running it counterclockwise, which seems counter to what you'd be as a flat tracker. And then that first year where it was the speedway, they had the grandstand, they reconfigured the track, although they had that, to your point, turn six, the bowl and all that up behind there. Um, but yeah, that was that was run clockwise. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you won that year for sure, because I was there seeing that. But that was a that was a even though it was a tricky track, that was a good one for you, obviously. Yeah, it's for some reason, you know, I kind of got along good with that track and our bikes always seemed to work really well there. Um, that was one of the tougher races to actually do, I think, here in our AMA series was um, it was fairly tight. It was always fairly warm that time of year. <clears throat> and I think originally we were doing 60 something laps around there. So it <clears throat> seemed like it took forever. <laughs> OK, I, I just look. I, I just I just looked it up and Doug is right. His first win was at Mid Ohio. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, Mid Ohio. Okay, Mid Ohio, and then and then he proceeded to win again right after that in in Kansas. Right. And then yeah, but you obviously had a bunch of DNFs because you finished fifth in the championship. But you actually that was a year that year was kind of odd for victories because nobody really dominated you you had more wins than anybody with just two yeah yeah it was, so. it was like i said we we just i think had a lot of teething problems with the bike the bike was good we'd have good speed but we just weren't finishing which was was killing us you know until we finally got it together toward the end of the year and we won those two races um yeah they right. definitely out of the championship so sean when you were there as a kid you wouldn't have been a kid, but when you were there as a young man, yeah. you actually saw Jamie James win that year. Yeah. Was was that in eighty? Oh, on a Suzuki, right? Mm -hmm. That was that was a year yeah. the championship, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's yeah. right. All right. Anyway, we cleared that up. <laughs> we figured it all out. Um, that's funny. You know, we asked uh, we asked some fans some questions, Doug, and you know we'll get into those in a bit here. But I did want to ask you one of the questions that that. Uh, one particular fan asked uh, by the name of Wayne Rainey, actually. <laughs> I don't know if he wanted to tell me to, me yeah. to tell you that he's the one that asked the question, but I'm mm -hmm. going to, I'm going to ask it to you anyway. So, so here's what he said. He said, he said, ask Doug what it was like to ride and work with me compared to Schwantz in GPs. Well, we were just talking about that last week too. 
Um, <clears throat> my first year in Europe, which would have been 91, I was kind of a, a B team with Kenny on just the standard 500s, which was more than enough for me at that time. Um, so I kind of had access to the Marlboro team as well, which was, you know, Wayne's side. And I think all through my career, my main focus was to understand and, and learn the motorcycle the best I could. I never felt I had the ability to just get on a bike and outride everyone else. You know, my focus was to make the bike the best I could possibly get it to where it was easier for me. And that was, I think, what I always looked for as far as an advantage compared to the other riders. And working with Wayne in 91, that was when we were just starting to do a lot of telemetry. So we had the computers. We couldn't, I don't think, I don't think we could get a minute and a half or a couple of minutes of recording at a time, but you know we could actually bring it up on the computers and, and look at the traces on the suspension and how everything was working through the corners. And you know I put a lot of focus on that to understand you know what the suspension was doing and how to correct it and what it should look like when it is working right. So that was a big learning year for me. And when I signed with Suzuki for 92, I expected the same out of Kevin as what I had, you know, seen with Wayne in 91. And when I went there, it was, um, I guess, an eye-opener. You know, Kevin didn't really focus so much, I think, on the bike. I think he just, if they gave him a bike, he was going to ride the wheels off of that thing um, to get it done. And that's where I seen the difference between Wayne and Kevin. Um, you know, Kevin, I guess, would have natural ability and just fearlessness where he could, you know, like I said, ride the wheels off the bike. He was going to ride it, you know, <laughs> as best he could. Um, so I felt in 92, what I learned from 91, I kind of brought over to the Suzuki side. And I think we, through that year, developed a really good motorcycle. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. cool. And then, well, let's continue with GPs because then then you went to two years at uh, at Kajiva. Was that an Correct. entirely different experience? No, no, very similar. Um, other than, you know, you're, you're working with Italians now versus, you know, Japanese. Um, and back then, you know, it was doing the eight hours prior to, you know, racing the 500s. The Japanese were a little set in their ways and it was hard to kind of get things changed or made differently to try to correct problems. Um, the Italians, I don't think were maybe, I think they were more open to suggestion than what the Japanese were at the time. Um, and we had some really, really cool stuff on the Kajibas. Uh, I kind of felt you know, the two years I was there, 93, 94, we had gotten that bike really, really good. I mean, in fact, Johnny won a couple of races on the thing. Um, and I led a few and we had a few mechanicals. So I thought the bike was right in there with the rest of them, you know, the Yamahas and the Hondas and Suzuki's, no problem. Now, yeah, I, Sean, I don't know if you know this or not, but my dad was actually um, Doug's crew chief in his, it was the last year at Kajiva, right? 
Correct. And I was just going to bring that up too, Paul. That was 94. You know, they brought Kel in to work with me. Um, 93, I had a bit of a, a rough year. Um, but having Kel in there kind of straightened me out. And we had a really good year, I thought. I thought, you know, it didn't show on paper. But like I said, we led quite a few races and we're running up front. We just had a few you know, mechanical. Um, but I thought, you know, everything we had done and like I said, we had some really cool stuff. Uh, I think, I don't know, I think the Honda might have been the first ones with the fuel in, the fuel injected system, but we did have it. And I think Fogarty actually ran that bike at Donington and I had tested it a bunch and it, it worked really well. Um, we had a number of different things on that thing. We had, um, oh, we had a hydraulic pump off the bottom of the motor, off the transmission, that we had variable exhaust header links on those things, which were really cool. Um, no one knew about it. Uh, they could throw a switch to where when the bikes were out front of the garage warming up, the pipe stayed static. But on the track, if you were watching them, you, would, you could see the mufflers sliding in and out, depending on where you're at in the RPM. Wow. Yeah, that's no, incredible. Really, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, we yeah, we had a lot of innovative stuff. It was really cool, and that I think again that goes to where I enjoy that kind of stuff. You know, developing bikes, trying to make get the most out of them, and to be able to sort that stuff out and actually make progress rather than you know just spin the guys in circles going round and round. Um, I think that's how you you know make things better and you get the guys going around the tracks fast. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's funny. Cause my, my dad really looks back at that. Was it Argentina or Brazil? Like the second to last race of the year. That was Argentina. We led that one. We should have, we should have. Yeah, I mean, dad, yeah. that's yeah. what dad, dad, like, I know that's one that dad's like, cause he wanted you to win one of those so bad. Yeah. And then yeah. that yeah. was the one that like really was close, I guess. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Now we finished second to Mick and, you know, Johnny was a distant third to us and it was good. Um, the one that I looked back at was, I think, Lamar. We kind of run it up front. I don't think I ever got to the front. I was trying to get by Pooch to take the lead to go and we popped the cylinder off and I got a picture of myself rolling through the, the chicane past that little Dunlop bridge. I got my hand on my side in disgust and look at the bottom of the fairing and there's just water pouring out. And I'm thinking, you're stupid, oh. dude. That's going to flick you off so hard. But I was just, I was upset <laughs> and it broke on us again. It was like, man. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, so, Doug, when you were in GP, you, that was obviously when men were men, those two strokes. Do you look back at those bikes, those two stroke 500cc bikes in a, fondly as a great time of your life did you did you enjoy riding them yeah i did i feel very fortunate to you know have the opportunity to actually ride them and they weren't i don't think they were as god awful as everyone talks about them um there wasn't no in between they were either the best bike you were ever riding or the worst you know it they never seemed to be in the middle there it was always really really good or really really bad um, and when they were bad, they were trying to throw you down and, you know, stomp you. Um, but they were fun. And like I said, that where I was at, you know, I 
really enjoyed the development side of it. And with the Kajivas, we did a fair bit of testing through the year. And like I said, all those different things we had on our engines. And one of the cool things we did, I think, 93, the start of 93 testing, um, at the start of the season, we were using the Showa suspension. And I've yet to see anything like this. They might might have tried it, you know, here recently or not too long ago. But the Showa guy shows up and opens his case and pulls out a set of forks, and they were carbon, carbon. I mean, the uppers, the lowers, the sliders, everything was carbon. They were beautiful. I mean, the coolest looking forks I had ever seen. Wow. We put them on, and I think I did I did a half a day on them, and we took them off, and I never seen them again. They were just they were too stiff. They wouldn't flex, you know, and keep it smooth. And so it was just a constant chatter. Um, but as far as, you know, coolness and bling factor, they were by far, you know, way above anything else. But, you know, as far as making you go faster around the track, no, they were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Kind of, yeah, that's all part of the you know the testing you know trying to sort out you got to try things and you got to know if it's better or not not just judge it by appearance or you know how it looks it, it needs to show you in time and you know the performance side of things as well yeah just not how much it costs correct yeah but like i said that was a, a one and done i've never seen those forks again for the next two years <laughs> so anyway, this is kind of interesting because you rode this badass Kajiva in, in, in Grand Prix racing in 94, and then in 95, you find yourself on a VR1000. Oh, boy. I mean, that, 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 that must have been like, that, that's a massive difference, right? Yeah, it's pretty substantial. But at the time, you know, I was kind of holding out, hoping to get something back over on the 500 you know i i really wanted to continue um over there but we just you know ran out of time and had to take something rather than sit out a whole season so we opted to do the harley deal and in reality it it wasn't that bad i think the appearance of that bike since it looks so different from everything else you know japanese um it looked a little rough i kind of without the fairing the bodywork on the bike, to me, it was a legitimate, legitimate bike. It, it was nice. Um, I just think the engine design was a bit dated. You know, it wasn't quite as current as everything else, and I think that's what held us back on it. Um, the guys tried really hard, and you know, that year was a bit of a disaster for me too. I had fallen off the first race of the year at Daytona, broke my collarbone, had it plated, put back together, and. Um, got back on the thing at Laguna for a test and fell off of it again. And then I rebroke the same collarbone with the plate on it. And so that kind of took me out a good part of the season. because I really wasn't very helpful to those guys. Right. Yeah. We had Miguel Duhamel on this la on the show last week. He uh -huh. was saying that like for all the bikes, you know, whatever shortcomings it had, he said it just really, really handled well. Yeah, the bike worked good. We were just, you know, down on power, and I think that was more with that motor being somewhat dated. Um, but the bike worked really well. And like I said, if I could have had a, you know, a full year, again, coming from where I was on the 500s, you know, I think we could have tested, developed, and made some major improvements with that thing. But 
I was sidelined with a broken shoulder and collarbone for quite a while that year. That's hard. You know, Doug, uh, there are many things about your career that are pretty incredible. Certainly the Grand Slam it probably tops it or is one of the top things. But the fact that you're a three-time AMA Superbike uh, champion and the way you did it to have won it in 90 and then come back from Europe after racing GP and winning it another couple times after that amount of time. I don't know, you know, I haven't done the research to figure out if that's the longest amount of time between championships or not. But what was it like from that first championship and then winning the second one and you had all that GP time in between? You were probably a different rider by then, right? Yeah, totally night and day. Um, when I won it my first year, I was, I definitely, I stayed, I would be, you know, I was green. Um, but I think everyone here in America was, you know, I mean, we had a lot of good riders, but I felt, you know, the mentality, we were more just, you know, high level club racers to where when I came back, everything had kind of stepped up. Um, you know, the teams have gotten bigger, more support, you know, more factory bikes on the grid than ever before. I, I think we had at one time, I think the top 16 were all pretty much factory bikes, which was, you know, huge. I don't think we, any other series had that kind of participation. So with that, I think all the riders, you had pretty good riders. So the competition was really good. And I think it elevated all the, you know, American riders to a, a better level. And, you know, a lot of them were able to go on over and win other championships. Um, and I think that goes back to probably 89, 90, when we first were able to compete against the World Superbike guys. Um, you know, in 90, we won Brainerd, um, the world superbike race there. And, you know, they kind of just would fluff us off saying, oh, that was, you know, your home track. You just won because it was in America. So they had me, Kawasaki took me to Sugo, which was a place I had never been before um, to see how we do over there. And that was, that was a tough one, but we kind of come through, you know, me and Rob and, you know, Medley went over there and competed and we actually won one of the legs. So we proved to those guys that, yeah, we, we can go good elsewhere other than our home track. So that, I think that kind of opened up the eyes to a lot of people. Well, I would I've say a, that's I've pretty. Got I've got a story from my dad that I might not even be able to tell, but we're going to tell it anyway. Oh boy. Um, you're gonna get in trouble, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 as long as I have my facts straight. But like, my dad tells a story where you guys went and tested with Carl Fogarty, and he was he rode the Kajiva, and I think Dad said you tested his superbike. You want me to finish the story? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be modest, though. <laughs> I remember that very clearly. Um, you know, at the time, Ducati Kajiva was the same. Uh, Claudio was kind of over everything. Um, and they were struggling at the time. So they had asked me to, you know, do a test with them. And we happened to be at Magello the same time. And I think Falafa had just gotten injured. So I, I ended up riding his bike. And, you know, we did a little bit on our Kajivas, but originally I was going to do two days on the Ducati. And 
I had been off a super bike three years. And so this was the first time back on one. And I, they had a bunch of parts for us to try. And all I kind of was doing was just kind of neutralizing the bike to where I was, you know, comfortable on it, um, getting a good balance. And in doing so, we started going pretty fast. And I think at the time we were a second and a half, two seconds faster than the Superbike track record. And then, um, now I forget who was the Ducati race manager at the time, but, you know, a half a day is all I ended up getting on the bike. They took me off the thing saying, you know, I was messing with the rider's head. So, <laughs> um, we ended up with another, you know, day and a half. And he finally got down to the time and went a little bit quicker than I had done, but he ended up having to do it on the bike I was riding. Um, and kinda, I kind of felt bad because I figured with all those parts they had, we could have, you know, made even a, a bigger step. But, you know, they decided it was best that I, you know, got off the bike. That's good. That's the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that did happen. All right. Good. Hey, Doug, I, I, I got a question I've always wanted to ask you and it's, you know, you, we talked at the top of the top of the, the podcast about, you know, you started out in flat track and I always associate guys that race flat track with liking the bike to be a little loose, you know, staring with the rear end and that whole bit. But myself, as well as a lot of other people have always said, you're one of the smoothest riders they ever saw race. And I kind of think Cameron Bobier is like that now. He's got that kind of smooth inline style. Uh, and I mean inline in terms of, you know, keeping the bike. What is that true about you? I mean, you just were known to be a smooth rider. And why is that? It almost belies the fact that you were a flat tracker a little bit. Do you know where I'm coming from on that? Yeah, but I think everybody's interpretation of loose is a bit different. You know, the flat track, the bike's never in line you know on the dirt it's always flipping front or rear it's moving around but the guys that can do it smoothly and controlled don't look as i guess aggressive as somebody who's more close to being out of control um and i always thought that would contribute or transfer over to the road race um the races are longer and at the time it was always a a bit of a problem with the tires going the distance so that kind of was always in the back of my mind was if i was too aggressive or riding the thing too hard i'm not going to have tires left on the thing at the end of the race so that kind of translated to me as far as kind of being easier on everything to where you know you can maintain or hold the constant lap times from the beginning of the race to the end of the race and a lot of times we actually come better at the end of the race, you know, lighter fuel load and, you know, the tires wearing down, getting a little bit thinner, started running cooler and would actually work sometimes better. Um, but that was then. I don't know if, you know, the, the development of the tires, if that's still an issue like it was when I was doing it or, or not. Um, but I think it's just everybody's a little bit different. And that was one of the things, like I said, keeping it in the back of my head, you know, thinking more about preservation, having something for the end of the race to where if you were in the battle, you might have a little bit more tire left than your competitor. Hmm. I've got a question as it, re as it goes back to the Grand Slam. Um, yeah. 
And for those of you listening who don't know what the Grand Slam is, that's actually a victory on a dirt track mile, a dirt track half mile, a dirt track TT, and a dirt track short track, and a, a and a, a road race, whatever the national class would have been at the time. Yep. Out, out of those, out of those races that it takes to win the Grand Slam, do you recall like which one was? I don't know which one came last to you or which one was the most difficult for you to get. So maybe you can tell us that. Well, the last one would have been the road race, um, which was, which was good. But I think the one that was the coolest for me was my first one. Um, and that was at Santa Fe, the short track. Uh, I think your first national win is probably going to be, you know, the one that you look at the most. Um, that was cool. That was, that was a strange year because at the time, I think I was 17. And the way they had the rules was I could move up mid-year to the next class. But when I moved up, I couldn't go out of that class until I've completed a full year. So when I was a, a novice flat tracker, pro, halfway through the year, I got I was able to bump up to junior. So I finished that first year as a junior and then started my second year as a junior till my mid-season then I had enough points and I had my time in so then I was able to move to expert and that's when you know everything went back you know I think I just graduated high school me and my buddy drove my dad's van back to Illinois and that's you know I started racing and within well, a couple of weeks, I think, was when I won my first national at Santa Fe on the short track. So that was pretty big. It was pretty cool. Wow, that is big. Yeah. So well, you I were like, oh, this is easy. You know, yeah. But I was, <laughs> what sticks out in my mind in that first year, or my expert year, was going to Houston as a junior and watching Randy Green and some of the other rookies make that the main event thinking, man, you know, these guys are going to have a big head start on me for, you know, rookie of the year. It's going to be tough to catch them up. <laughs> um, so that's what I thought about the whole, you know, part of that year when I was still a junior. Hey. Doug, we've got a few fan questions here. Um, and a couple of them are pretty good. One of them is bizarre. So I want to, uh, but I, I want to ask it for you. See what your answer is going to be. So okay. uh, on Instagram, Somebody asked Doug, "What was your favorite motorcycle and why?" Oh boy, favorite motorcycle? Huh? I don't know if I would have had a favorite. If if I was to say anything, like I said, I really enjoyed you know my years at Kajiva just because of the development side. Some of the stuff I was telling you guys that we had and were working on, um, you know, that really kept me focused and interested um you know just evolving the motorcycles and i think when that thing was right it was a great motorcycle so i'd say it would have been you know the kajiva at times i had a feeling when you were talking about kajiva and uh well especially with paul in here with his dad i was thinking i think he's gonna mm -hmm. say that kajiva yeah. <laughs> um the, okay here, the, here's the suzuki a, oh, go ahead was, the suzuki was good in 92 i mean we you know, developed that thing to where, you know, I knew it was going to be a really good motorcycle. Um, and it, it ended up coming out pretty good because Kevin won the championship in 93. But, um, yeah, those two years would have been good. with Kajiva just more so because I had more time with them. You know, 
this, Doug, this isn't one of the questions that somebody asked me. You, you just made me think of something. And, and you, I, I can tell that you appreciate developing a motorcycle. Is that, as a racer, a big part of, certainly in GP, but in all, all kinds, well, let's just focus on road racing since we're Moto America. Is that whole thing about developing the motorcycle and making it better as important as, I don't know, maybe not as important as winning a race, but that's part and parcel of what you're trying to do as a rider, right? Is make the bike better? That was always my main focus, but it, I, I think the way it was when I was there and, and even now what a, how I look from the outside in, you still got guys with natural abilities who can just get on a bike and ride. Um, you know, a, a good example of that in my era would have been Anthony Gobert. You know, that guy could ride the wheels off anything and, you know, not really know much about the motorcycle. Um, but everyone's a little bit different. I think all the riders look for a little niche or, or a little piece that they can kind of feel they got an advantage over the rest of the guys just to kind of give them a better feeling, feeling or, you know, an edge over their competition. And that was my main focus was always to try to make the bike better if i can make the bike better it was going to be easier for me um and i think that's how the bikes evolve or you know get better but some riders i think will talk like they know what they're talking about but they end up getting the engineers mechanics just you know changing parts and going full circle you know changing offsets and all this other stuff but not really being able to focus or or choose rightly, right, that it was an improvement or not. Um, and that's what I talk about, you know, making them just go round and round on the bike and not really get a sense of direction on what way they need to go to make it better. Okay, so I, I have to ask you this question that this guy, Pete Murray USA, asked on Instagram. I'm scared and, already. All right, well, I, maybe I'm making too much of it. Maybe it'll be an easy question for Doug to answer, but... So this guy says, Doug, if you were building a pre-1993 ZX7, 1992 cutoff for the Isle of Man Classic TT, what would be the key elements of the build and where would you source the parts? Boy, <laughs> I have no idea on that one. That was a place, you know, the Isle of Man, I never even got to go there and actually go around the track. So all I've seen is what they show on TV. Um, and it looks like it's a lot of the roads. The roads aren't very smooth. Um, my thoughts on something like that, and, you know, again, that's an old bike. So sourcing out the parts, I don't know. But you kind of want to have something pretty neutral and balanced, you know, for going at the speed you're going to go and on the condition or how rough some of those sections of the roads are. I'm not sure what would be good, but, you know, a well-balanced bike would be key. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I, I wasn't sure how to ask it and if I even should, but I decided to. Um, so thank you on that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, Paul, let's talk to Doug a little bit about what he's doing now. And you reminded me that he started out um, as a race director and switched over to rider reps. So Doug, can you talk about those two roles a little bit and just kind of bring, bring some fans up to speed on what, what you actually do did in the other role and do, do with the rider rep thing in, in kind of a nutshell for us. Well, I think our first year with Moto America, I was the rider representative. Um, and we had Stuart Higgs as acting race director. 
as well as um, uh, we had somebody else. Paul Butler. Oh, that's right. Paul come over to get a couple. So I worked with both of them. And, you know, I kind of, I wanted to be able to kind of pull in position. So that was one of the things I wanted to focus on, learn from those guys. In time, if needed, I could step and be race director. And that's kind of what I had done. Um, I think it, two, three years in, I was the acting race director, as well as, you know, I think Stuart has come over every year now to do a you know handful of our rounds, which has been really good because he's a he's a good guy to have there. A lot you can learn a lot from him. Um, and these last couple of years, I've kind of stepped back. I've always been focused or have been trying to get my own team put together, be it you know just some super stock bikes or twin bikes, or you know my main goal would be to run a super bike team. But um, you know get back on the in the other side of the the fence in the paddock with a race team, you know, with my time and I want to say knowledge, um, I think I could, you know, offer some of these newer riders a fair bit of help and, you know, development. Um, so that's what I've been focusing on now. I thought we were close a couple of times, but we've, you know, things have come up and um, put us back on hold, you know, just like where we're at right now. So. I'm kind of in limbo. Yeah, and and neither of those two jobs are very easy, are they? I mean, it's like you kind of I mean, I always thought you were a good person for that role because you were very non-confrontational. I mean, I think it would be very hard to have a fight with you. Well, yeah, it wasn't that bad. You know, it, it you try to be neutral um and honest, I think is the main thing if you know, you're not going to pull anything over an old racer. You know, we've seen it or done it ourselves prior. Um, <laughs> the guys are real honest with us, and you know, is how it is or how what we've seen it to be and what they describe it as. Yeah, no harm, no foul. We sort it out. It, it's all good. But if we're get if we're given a line and that's not what we've seen or how we've seen it, we got a problem. Um, and most mm. guys kind of respect us for that. It, it's it's kind of tough at times, um, but I did enjoy it because it got me back to the races. Um, and that's you know a place I've kind of grown up at, and you know continue to enjoy going to the races. So I I definitely liked it, but I prefer to be on the other side of the fence. <laughs> right, that's yeah. funny. Okay. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna cut you loose here, Doug. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you, and no and uh, it's cool to go back through the old times, and we'll, we'll have to have you on again soon. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the bicycle old. business, how's the bicycle <laughs> business? Is that is this thing have a big effect on it? Or I, yeah. all I see is people riding bicycles, but I don't oh, know if they're buying crazy. a new ones. It's been crazy, Paul. I mean, I've I've been really busy on the bicycles, and the places our local places here that we ride, you know the. The numbers have escalated three times of what you're normally used to seeing out on the trails or bike path. Um, so a lot of people are getting crazy. out and riding. Um, as well as kind of this winter has been pretty good. We've had a, some good rides on our motorcycles, um, which has been really enjoyable to get back on the dirt bikes again. So I put a couple of videos together. I got a YouTube channel that you know some of those are up uh, some dirt bike rides as well as our little practice flat track. Um, and those I have are, to take a look. 
Yeah, those are at DC 10 rides. All right, cool. And the fans can go look at that as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, again, th thanks a lot. It was, uh, it's awesome chatting with you. And Sean, what do you got over there in closing? Well, I want to want to thank everybody. Well, certainly thanks, Doug, for being on. And I want to thank the fans for listening to our podcast and remind them to please subscribe to Moto America Live Plus, our popular subscription streaming service. And also don't forget to get your race weekend tickets. Go to MotoAmerica.com, buy for complete details. And, you know, things are starting to look move forward and there's maybe light at the end of the tunnel for our season. And that's about all I'm going to say about that right now, Paul. But um, we'll be hopefully seeing you and, and Doug at the track at some point here. Yeah, I think that's going to be sooner rather than later, which is which is very good news for all of us. So you guys uh, have a good rest of your day and uh, stay safe and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Paul. No worries. Bye.